Hello and welcome back to the Everyday Trainer Podcast. My name is Meg and I am a dog trainer. So on today's episode, this is a FAQ episode. Every Monday, I open up questions on my social media and I answer all the questions and I get hundreds of questions and I can never answer all of them. So on this episode, I'm going to run through 10 of the most common questions that I get from my social media and talk a little bit more in depth about them. So you know the drill, grab yourself a tasty drink and I will meet you back here. All right, so today's episode is going to be a little shorter than most. We're keeping it nice and quick and succinct. Succinct? I don't know. I can't speak English anymore, to be quite honest with you. But I'm back in my van. I recorded last episodes in my van. and it la- Oh, my gosh. The last episode in my van. Goodness. Words. Anyways, um, and the sound quality was just so good. So I was like, all right, I have to record this episode in the van as well. So I have a list of 10 questions that you all ask me, and I'm going to run through these questions and hopefully help some of y'all out there with some issues that you have. And these are the most common things that I get asked. Like I said, I get hundreds of questions every week. And um, I would love to have the opportunity to answer each and every one of you, but I would quite possibly lose my mind. So, uh, yeah, this is my attempt at answering all of your guys' questions in a, in a bulk setting. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, let's just get into it. So... Number one, this is definitely the most, no, I'm, this is not the most common question, but it, it's pretty common. Um, how do I get my puppy to stop biting me? Okay. This is like everybody, everybody asks this. Everybody has a puppy who is biting them and on dog trainer, social media, or on the internet or whatever, all the dog trainers, we're all saying the same things, right? We're saying, okay, your puppy is probably overstimulated. If they're biting you, time to go in the crate. It's kind of like a kid who needs to take a nap when they get too fussy, right? Well, yes, that is true. Sometimes your puppy is just biting you because it's fun. Uh, You can sound like a squeaky toy, right? So your puppy bites you and go, oh my gosh, stop. Uh, That's so much fun for your puppy when you make loud squeaky noises and they bite you they're like oh my gosh you're literally like a little a little prey animal so uh we need to make sure that we're not doing that we need to make sure that we're giving our puppies plenty of downtime puppies need to sleep like 17 hours a day and a lot of the puppies that i get are very overtired like they're that fussy toddler that needs to go and take a nap so Make sure that your puppy is getting enough sleep. Make sure that they have structured downtime in the crate. Make sure that you are not inadvertently like rewarding your puppy for biting you and kind of playing into that, right? Um, But also, it's totally okay to tell your puppy no for biting you and to correct your puppy for biting you. I get a lot of people who have like 
full-blown adult dogs like grabbing them and biting them because they never disrupted that behavior in puppyhood. And the thing is, if you disrupt it in puppyhood, it's a lot easier than if you have to go and like fix it down the road in an adult dog. Um, it can be a really tough habit to break. And uh, that's not that's not what we want. We can tell our puppies no. Um, you can correct your puppy for biting you. A correction for a puppy, it really just depends on the puppy. So a correction could is simply anything that like gets the puppy to stop the behavior. So a firm no uh, could do the job. For Zoe, my eldest, my old lady, golden retriever, uh, she's very like, she's good with verbal cues. So a no to her really, really meant something. And I could get her to stop anything with just a no. For some puppies, they don't really give a shit about your no, right? So we have to add some value to that no. Typically, when I teach a puppy no, I teach it with the crate door. So the puppy goes to run out of the crate. I say no, and I close the door in their face. I open the door. Puppy goes to run out. No, I close the door in their face. This is the first way that most puppies with us learn no uh just because it's it's a great way to like teach that word the thing about our words is they really don't have meaning unless we give them meaning so that's a good way to like add value to your no um but just make sure that you're not allowing the behavior like you are a full-grown adult human being and you have a puppy you can stop that behavior. I fully believe you. Like, I I don't want to say that I have like some secret sauce of like how to, you know, correct your puppy from biting you, but you can, you can stop the behavior. Um, yeah. I wish that I could like give you some secret to do that, but I just, I genuinely can't like, <laughs> uh yeah just if your puppy is biting you too intensely do what you need to to stop that behavior because uh and and that that could be a verbal no it could be putting your puppy in the crate uh you know like just don't allow that behavior as a human you're allowed to exist without your puppy biting you so this is me giving you permission to uh you know make that happen number two how do I transition from a slip lead or a prong collar to e-collar? So I predominantly use slip leads in training. The reason why I like slip leads is they're very versatile and they're also, um, I don't know, I found that my owners were not using prong collars at all, which was, uh, it's kind of annoying because like, it's just coming from a place of misunderstanding. Like owners don't really know how to use prong collars. They look at a prong collar and they're like, oh, that looks like a torture device. Like I'm not going to use that. So I transitioned to slip leads for ease of use and because I was finding that my owners were not sticking with using prong collars. So I don't predominantly use prong collars, but if we're transitioning from leash pressure to e-collar, how I kind of do e-collar work is I teach the dog what the leash means, how to give into the leash, a lot of times we're inadvertently teaching our dogs that 
they get to move in the direction that they put leash pressure on, right? So our dog pulls over to the grass, we pull over to the grass. Our dog pulls over to a person, we pull over to that person. That's teaching the dog that they can use the leash to guide you where they want to go. But we need to do the opposite. I want to teach the dog that I'm going to use the leash to guide you where I want you to go. So once I have a dog that understands that, then... I simply layer the e-collar on top of that. So I do low level e-collar training, which means we find the lowest level that the dog feels the sensation at. And we just simply layer the e-collar on top of that. So I very much mimic leash pressure with the e-collar. So anytime that there would be pressure on the leash, that is when I'm pressing and holding my e-collar. Pressure goes off when the leash pressure would go off. So if I'm practicing recall, it's come pressure goes on, leash pressure goes on, dog moves towards you, leash pressure goes off. Same thing with the e-collar. Come, e-collar sensation goes on when the dog starts moving towards me, e-collar sensation goes off. So I like to have a foundation of, you know, leash pressure, the understanding of the leash, and then I simply layer the e-collar on top of that. I like to make it real simple. Um, Not all dog trainers do this. Some dog trainers do it a little bit differently. Some dog trainers jump right into e-collar. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but I like to have the foundation of leash work first because I find that the transition from leash to e-collar is very smooth and the dog really understands what the e-collar means and how to turn it off when we do it that way. All right, number three, my dog hates grooming. How do I help them? So, For grooming, we, first of all, if you have a puppy, address this in puppyhood. Start squeezing your puppy's paws, shoving your fingers in their ears, um, clipping their nails, brushing them. Do all of those things in puppyhood. It's going to be a lot easier if you do. Uh, Now, let's say you missed that. You didn't do that. Your dog hates grooming or you adopted a dog. They hate grooming. You're going to be looking at counter conditioning. So there's a few things that we need with counter conditioning. One, I need a dog who is taking food from me, which for me, this is much less common than you would think. But a lot of the dogs that come to me for training are not in a place where they are taking food. So that is something that we have to build up in the dog. I have to teach the dog, hey, uh, you got to work for your food. Um, You're going to be offered it multiple times a day in these training sessions. If you want to take it, great. If not, it's okay. You're going to get it offered later on. Uh, After so many training sessions, even if the dog is not taking food in the first however many, eventually they're going to be like, oh, this is my opportunity to eat, right? So once we have a dog who's taking food from us, then we can really get to work as far as training goes. So with counter conditioning, essentially you want to, you want to take it real slow, especially with grooming. So you're going to touch the dog's toe, mark that with a yes, and then you're going to reach for your food and reward the dog. Touch the dog's toe, mark that with a yes, reach for your food, reward. We're going to go in baby steps here. So we're starting off by touching the toe, then we're going to squeeze the toe, then we're going to grab our nail clippers and touch it to the toe, all while using our marker word yes, and then following it up with a food reward. So we're teaching our dog, I'm going to grab your toe, me grabbing your toe elicits that yes, that yes means food is coming. So we're using our marker word to mark whenever we're doing the grooming, right? So you can do this with a brush, you can do this with ear cleaning but just take it slow um 
don't think that this is going to be solved in just a couple training sessions. It's going to take some time, especially if you have like a difficult dog. It could even take weeks to counter condition for grooming. But it's a sent in words. Jesus. Uh, it's an essential part of your dog's life. They're going to have to be groomed. So it's probably a good idea that you figure out how to counter condition that. <laughs> I hope that was helpful. Um, all right. Number four, what should I focus on for my puppy? I get this all the time. What should I focus on for my two month old puppy? What should I focus on for my six month old puppy? What should I focus on for my 12 month old puppy, which 12 month old puppy. I'm, I'm a little on the fence about that one, but anyways, um, what should you focus on for your puppy, depending on what age they are? So I think that people try to rush, rush raising a dog right? We get really hung up on like teaching them all of these commands. So like a good example of this is I have a six month old here and the owner really wants to teach like a leave it command. She's like, I want to leave it command because he's constantly picking things up. You know, that's fine. Um, my thing is that that dog should have so much structure that they're not allowed to like get into things or get things that they shouldn't like you shouldn't need a leave it command at six months old the only reason why you want a leave it command is because you don't have enough structure in place and so your dog has now created the habit of picking things up or getting into the trash or grabbing items that they shouldn't and so you're trying to remedy that through an obedience command And that is not, not when we want to use an out command or a leave it command. Um, If you're having to use a command like that all the time, then you haven't successfully like trained your puppy. You haven't given them enough structure. So around three months old, our goals are very simple. Our goal is crate training, potty training, and socialization. Now, when I say socialization, I don't mean your dog being friends with other dogs. I simply mean taking them anywhere and everywhere, taking them to a coffee shop, taking them to a restaurant, taking them on a car ride, going to the bank with you, like all all the things that you do, you can take your puppy with you and start exposing them to as many things as possible. Now, With that being said, we want to make sure that we're not allowing strangers to come up and pet our puppies. We're not allowing other dogs to come up and greet our puppies. We want our puppies to be neutral to everything. So we raise our puppies like how we would raise a service dog. I'm not going to let the external environment interact with that dog because I want my dog to be neutral to everything. A dog that is confident and calm and neutral is not going to develop behavioral issues down the line. I train so many dogs with behavioral issues because they are not taught this and instead they are taught dumb obedience commands at three months old or six months old or however old and the owners have skipped over the foundation of creating a confident dog. It starts in puppyhood. You need to expose them to all of these things. Um, Another little added bonus around three months is eye contact. Um, engagement with you. I like to have a dog that checks in with me, right? That's really important. That's really valuable. So start rewarding your puppy for eye contact. And I could go into like all of those things, but that's kind of just like the cliff notes. So let's say you have a six month old, right? What are we doing with the six month old? Six months old is typically when I would start doing the obedience stuff. 
your dog has, you know, a more mature mind. Um, however, six months old is also kind of when they start to get kind of, I don't know why I said kind of, is it's when they start to get their adult hormones. So six to nine months, I kind of joke with people is like the puppy terrible twos. Um, that's when they get all their adult hormones and they'll start to regress in their training. So if you have eased up on your structure before six months old, you're going to start to see a lot of regression. Maybe your dog is having accidents in the house. Maybe they're fearful of things that they weren't fearful of before. So we want to make sure that we're sticking with our structure, with our crate routine, with our preventative measures all the way up through at least that nine month mark everybody drops the crate way too soon they drop it before six months because they're like oh my dog is older like they're more mature they're big right they start to look like an adult dog so we ease up on the structure and what happens when we ease up on the structure our dog starts to pick up on bad habits that we don't like like getting into things or you know grabbing things off the ground or having accidents in the house if you have a six-month-old dog that is still doing those things, it is because you have not given them enough structure. So we want to keep up with our structure all the way through those life stages. We want to keep up with our socialization, especially through that stage. So six to nine is months is usually like that second fear period. So we want to make sure that we continue to socialize our dog during that stage. However, you can start to integrate more obedience type training. You can start introducing leash pressure, that loose lead walk, starting to have higher expectations for our dogs around six months old. However, I'm still sticking with my structure up until a year. So just to give you an example, example? (laughs) example minka my malinois she is almost a year old i think she might be a year old um we are still incredibly structured like if i'm not watching her she's in a crate i'm not just gonna leave her out in my house and i can literally tell you she's never had a potty accident like in the house she's like submissively peed but she's never had like an accident of like oh I gotta go I'm just gonna like go on the floor like that has literally never happened because of all of the structure if you have a six-month-old dog who is like constantly pooping and peeing in your house like that is never going to change unless you change your dog isn't going to miraculously just kind of like mature um yeah So I hope that was helpful of kind of like the life stages, but basically everybody's rushing like everything. Take it slow. Make it super simple for yourself. Crate training, potty training, socialization. That is the biggest thing. Calm, confident dogs do not develop behavioral problems. Got it? Cool. Perfect. Um, Okay. Number five, my dog is starting to show signs of resource guarding. How do I stop this? Um, so resource guarding is kind of one of those funny things. It basically just means that your dog is like guarding food or the couch or a person, right? They're using kind of aggression as a tool to guard something that they deem valuable. A lot of times we see this with high value treats or bones. So if that's the case, let's say you have an adult dog who is resource guarding bones, All right, your dog is showing you that they cannot handle bones at this stage, right? 
they cannot handle having this behavior, this, uh, high value resource they're they're showing behavioral issues so we need to take that high value resource away and we need to start adding more structure to our dog's day Oof, excuse me burped we need to add more structure to our dog's day to make it so that all the good stuff comes from us so gretchen i have a previous podcast with her uh, she's a resource guarder and when she's bitten people it's been over a resource so the first six months that I had her she only ate from my hand because I needed her to understand that everything good that you enjoy needs to come through me you need to check in with me before you claim ownership over anything and she would claim ownership over people she would claim ownership over the couch but just in the act of having her work for her food and come to me for her food and kind of have this little exchange really uh, created a good relationship and foundation for us for me to be able to address that resource guarding and she's actually like relatively safe dog now which like is kind of funny to hear me say but like if you met her when I first got her, you would be like, oh, OK, that makes sense. Um, yeah. And then it's also important to understand that resource guarding is very genetic. A lot of time, a lot of times um, dogs are just genetically predisposed to resource guarding. So there's a bit of management that can go in with resource guarding. So if I know that I have a resource guarder, I'm going to feed them in the crate. I'm not going to mess with them when they're eating. I'm going to give them a safe space for them to eat because for whatever reason, they feel like they need to, you know, duke it out for this is mine. I'm not going to let you have this. So let's just give them a safe space to eat. Feed your dog in the crate uh, if you're not like getting them working for their food. Um, and then another thing that you can do is exchange games. So that's something that I did with Minka. Uh, she's a... Uh, pretty high drive Malinois so I knew that she would come with resource guarding and she would come with possessiveness um, so very early on I played exchange games with her right so I'm going to exchange food for a toy if I ever take anything away from you I'm gonna I'm gonna give you food in exchange for it so now she has an understanding of even if I come over and take something away from her, I'm going to give her something good in return so it's never a bad thing it's never like she has to battle it out for her resource the thing that she deems valuable now if she's laying in the backyard chewing on a bone and lucy comes up and tries to take her bone minka's not going to let lucy take her bone is that necessarily resource guarding or is she just not letting another dog walk all over her you know um, so she does that but she would never do it with me so if you have a dog who is resource guarding with you you really got to look at your relationship you got to start adding in some more structure some some more management and start you know, making it so that all the good stuff comes from you and they're not allowed just like on the couch when they want to grab food when they want to have, get toys when they want, like stuff needs to start coming through you. All right. Number six, how to differentiate between time sniffing on the walk and heel. I get this question all the time because I talk so much about the loose lead walk and walking our dogs at heel. So the whole goal of the walks that I do with dogs is to teach them to follow my lead. I don't 
really go on these like long sniffaries, as people will say, with dogs, because that's not really my goal. I do that with dogs. I will take them to a field and I'll let them run around in a field or I'll let them run around in the backyard or I'll, you know, walk over to a patch of grass and let them sniff for however long they want to sniff. But while we're walking, we're kind of like on a mission, right? Like your goal is just to kind of follow me. We're getting our steps in. We're getting our exercise in. I'm walking very confidently. It's an exercise for you to learn to follow my lead. It's not necessarily time to sniff and explore. Those are two very, very separate things for me. And let's say I want to take my dogs to go and sniff in between like on a structured walk, right? So how the structured walk works for me is as soon as we walk through the door, you're in a heel. And I always have to tell owners like the first five seconds of the walk sets the tone for how the walk is going to go. So if you walk out the door and your dog pulls you over to the grass and you let them go to the bathroom and sniff and do whatever, that's setting the tone for how the walk is going to go. So at the beginning of the walk, I always tell people, don't allow your dog to stop and sniff just yet. We're going to give them time to do that, but they need to be in heel. They need to be focused on you and you need to be, you know, walking with purpose. So you walk with purpose, walk with purpose. Whenever you get to a patch of grass or an area where you want your dog to sniff, walk over to the side of the grass, say go potty or break, whatever your release word is, and give them some slack in the leash. That's going to communicate to them, hey, now is your time to sniff, do whatever you need to do. Whenever you're done or whenever you're ready to go back to your walk, you're simply just going to grab your leash, guide your dog back over into that heel position and continue your walk. And that's really how we do things is we're not constantly stopping. The dogs aren't constantly allowed to sniff like your dog has an excellent nose to think that your dog has to put their nose on things to smell is kind of absurd. Like your dog is constantly smelling. They don't need to shove their nose into the ground. They don't need to shove their nose over in the grass like every five feet. That's that's to me a lack of impulse control. My purpose of the walk is to teach the dog impulse control. We're not acting on all those impulses that tell you to walk over here and sniff or stop or bark or do any of that. So you're I just make the walk very simple. You're in heel until I release you. Then you can do whatever you want to do. And then we go back into heel. I personally don't have a heel command because I found that owners got a little too hung up on the command itself. And I just tell them to guide their dog back into the heel position using the leash. You really don't have to say too much. All right. Number seven. How do I stop my dog from barking when people come over? Um, this is huge. This is huge. So many houses that I go to, I have people who are like, I literally can't even talk to them because their dog is just barking so much. So this goes back to our foundation of leash pressure. I have to have a dog that understands the leash and understands pressure and how to turn pressure off. So in those moments, I would have the dog on a leash next to me. Somebody comes in the house, the dog starts barking, I apply leash pressure. You can guide the dog like up and back into a sit. You can give the dog a pop on the leash or you can just give your dog constant pressure to disrupt that barking. 
You have to have a way to communicate with your dog in those moments. You can't just ignore it and let them continue to bark and bark and bark because unfortunately, barking at people is typically a self-reinforcing behavior. So your dog gets enjoyment out of it and it's reinforcing in itself. So you need to have something that disrupts that. I like to use the leash. We can also use e-collar. You can also work on teaching your dog place. So place is basically a bed where your dog can go and we condition it to be like a relaxed space, right? Your only job is to hang out here. You can't bark. You can't get up. You can't really do anything else. So it's a good like I kind of say like doggy meditation zone. We're conditioning this like calm state of mind to place. And the reason why we use place is not just because it's like a good place to, you know, send your dog, but You can put your dog on place when people come over and it gives them the idea and the expectations of how they need to act when people come over, right? Because we've set the expectations for place when no people are there. So then we can start adding in distractions to that. And that's another way that'll kind of address dogs barking when people come over. But we just need to be able to disrupt it. You can either disrupt it by using the leash or you can teach a really solid place command, put your dog on place, start practicing people coming over and holding them accountable to staying on place. All right, number eight, how do I know when my dog is ready to be off leash? Everybody wants like this really cut and dry answer, um, but the truth is my dogs are never on leash and I might get hate from the internet for that, but um, my dogs have impulse control. They're not just running up to other dogs and people. I have a very good relationship with all of my dogs. So if I walk somewhere and tell them to follow me, they're going to follow me. Um, but I'm also very mindful of whatever environment I'm in. I'm not just going to like let my dogs off leash in a place where there's like a lot of people or a lot of other dogs or I think I would run the risk of like not being able to recall my dog like you really just need to be smart about it um so if you like Lucy my second golden she is queen of running away and I talk about her on this podcast all the time um if I like didn't train Lucy with the e-collar I don't know that I would ever be able to have her off leash truly but uh, I conditioned the e-collar to her I taught her recall with the e-collar and because of that she now recalls but up until that point I did everything I did every type of recall training with her I did long line work I did high value rewards there's nothing more reinforcing than running away for Lucy so e-collar training really changed things for us and basically once I knew that I had that e-collar recall with Lucy I knew that I could let her off leash but up until that point I couldn't like I couldn't trust that she would ever come back and like her biggest thing was like forests (laughs) she loves forests and she would just like run into the forest and it was the best thing ever for her but like sometimes other dogs like running up to other dogs or running up to people, right? Like that's the thing that's really 
rewarding and reinforcing. So if you're working on recall and you're working on like that goal of off-leash reliability, don't take your dog who loves people to a park where there's going to be a lot of people. Like don't set your dog up for failure in that way. But you need to have a good relationship with your dog. You, The dog needs to understand that they have to recall when you ask them to recall. So my dogs are allowed to do whatever they want. We have no rules. So as long as I can tell them to stop doing what they're doing and do the opposite. So a good example of this is I'll let you run away from me, but you have to recall to me when I ask you. You have to come to me if I'm going to allow you to go away from me. You can get on the couch if you want, but you have to get down when I tell you to get down. And if you can't get down when I tell you to get down, you're not going to be allowed on the couch anymore. Just like if you don't recall to me, you're not, you're going to go back on leash. You're, I'm going to give you more structure. So we need to look at it like that. Your dog is going to tell you what level of freedom that they can handle. So if you go to do off-leash work with your dog and your dog blows off your recall one time, one time, that is all it takes for me, you go back on leash. You will go back on the leash until you have an understanding that you have to recall to me every single time. And that's just the dynamic of it, right? Like I will give you unlimited freedom so as you can listen to me when I need you to. And I'm very fair. I'm not like recalling dogs just to recall them. Like I recall them when I need to and when we practice it and then I release them. Like I teach them that like, I'm gonna like, you come back to me and I'll release you. Like I'm gonna give you that freedom again. But if you don't come back to me, you're not gonna have that off-leash freedom. So your dog is gonna tell you when they're ready, they really will. Their actions will tell you when they're ready. If they blow you off one time, they got to go back on the leash. They got to have more structure. All right, number nine. How can I teach my dog not to jump on guests? So this is very similar to how do I teach my dog to not bark when people come over? Um, You just need to have a leash on them. Uh, you need to have a leash on them. If a guest come over and your dog jumps up, you got to pop them on the leash, quick little tug on the leash, disrupt them jumping. But we also want to reinforce your dog sitting. So use your dog's food and reward them for sitting next to you while other people come over. You might need to start doing this uh, before people come over. So let's say your dog just does not stay in a sit Uh, practice that behavior in the house. So put a leash on your dog, put them in a sit, feed them in that sit, just continuously feed them to add duration to that sit. And then we can start adding directions, distractions like people coming in or, you know, people walking by and just continue to reward your dog for being in that sit. But also don't be afraid to correct them for jumping up on people. A lot of times that behavior is very rewarding we will reward our dogs for jumping up on us by giving us by giving them lots of affection. So if that's the case, make sure that you're not inadvertently rewarding your dog jumping up on you. Um, yeah, because we just want to have a clear image and you can't be correcting your dog for jumping up on people if you also reward them for doing it. That's not very fair and is very confusing. So anytime your dog is doing something that you don't like, add in more structure. For most owners, this is going to be the leash. And we can even use the leash inside 
and I definitely recommend it. All right, I wanted to keep this episode shorter. So we're at number 10. What is the most important thing to do with my dog each day? I get this question all the time and sometimes I don't answer it because I don't really know how to answer it. But simply put, I don't do the same things with my dogs every day. I can't tell you one thing that we do consistently every day, I guess, other than walk. But like some days I don't even I don't even go on walks with my dogs. But I guess if I had to pick one thing, it would be the walk. But in my inconsistency, I'm creating very confident dogs, right? They wake up. They don't know what we're doing today. Today, we went to go get tacos. I loaded all three of my dogs up and we went to go get tacos. They'll sometimes just go on car rides with me. Sometimes we'll go on eight mile hikes. Sometimes we'll go on a one mile walk. Sometimes we'll go skateboarding. Like every single day is different for my dogs. But one thing that I always make sure of is that I'm doing something engaging with each of them. I do something that each of them likes. So for Lucy and Minka, this is getting at least, you know, a five minute training session with food in. With Zoe, this is like Zoe is laying at my feet right now. Like this is what she wants. This is all she needs. So your dog is an individual and they like different things. So just try to do like at least one thing that they like a day. And sometimes this is me taking all my dogs on a group walk. Like whatever it is for you and your dog, find one thing that the two of you like doing together and do that thing. I don't want to tell you, oh, if you if you put your dog on place for 30 minutes each day, you're going to have a perfect dog. Like I don't do that. I don't put my dogs on place We'll literally just go lay out in the driveway. It'll be like 2 p.m. and it'll be me and all three of my dogs just like hanging out in the driveway, getting some sun, you know, like it doesn't have to be anything fancy. Just spend time with your dog, spend uninterrupted time with your dog. That's my answer. The most important thing to do with your dog each day is to spend uninterrupted, focused time with your dog, quality time. We love quality time. (sighs) I spoke very fast in this episode. I really, I really did my best to keep it short. I think I did a good job. Um, Anyways, I talked a lot. Um, Some of this stuff is much easier shown than... uh, spoken about. So if you want to see any of the stuff that I talked about today, I have a membership with lots of videos of how to's, whether you're doing crate training or uh, teaching the leash, conditioning the e-collar. I have videos for that. So if you want more information on any of these topics that I covered, I cover all of that and so much more in my community. You can go to community.theeverydaytrainer.com. I have lots of videos. I have really cool owners. Everybody like goes on there and introduces themselves. And like, I don't know, it just, it warms my fucking heart 
truly. Like I, I love this little community so much. Um, and I upload videos from the dogs that are with us from training. So you can see dogs that come in with problem behaviors and leave trained. Um, and as with everything that I do, I try to be as transparent as possible. And this is my little space on the internet to do that. So if you want to check that out, like I said, community.theeverydaytrainer.com. And then a little update on our leashes. Um, I had to put a pause on the leashes for now. We are sending our next order to a fulfillment center. <sighs> I can't, I don't even want to get into that, but I've been trying to do international shipping and it is just such a pain in the butt and everything is getting returned to us and we're doing our best to get international shipping, but it, 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 has, it has proven very difficult, but I am dedicated to making this happen. So we currently are, I'm pretty sure out of stock of leashes, which just kind of blows my mind because you guys have just like cleaned house. I bought so many leashes and it's so wild. Um, but as always, I will always announce when our leashes are back up in the store. And uh, yeah, I think that's all that I have for you today. Uh, I hope you learned something. I hope I could answer some of your questions. And uh, yeah, as always, thank you for being here. I appreciate you very much. And we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>